Okay, well, I want to welcome you all here. My name is Matthew. If you are brand new to Jesus, you're just checking things out, you're new to church, maybe it's been a while since you've been to church, or yeah, you're kind of new to Christianity, I want to thank you for being here. This is, this is a big deal that you're here. And so uh, you're our guest, and we're just grateful you're here on this journey, getting to know more about Jesus. And that's what we're going to be doing for the next four weeks. We are going to be diving into a season in the life of the church called Advent. Advent is to remember the coming of Jesus, uh, his advent, and we also think about his second coming. Um, but for, for four weeks, we've traditionally, traditionally looked at four different words, hope, peace, joy, and love. Hope, peace, joy, and love. And we're looking at the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love that Jesus brings our world. And our theme for this year, for this Advent, is A Weary World Rejoices. And so for the next four weeks, we hope to see a weary world truly rejoicing because a light has dawned. And these next four weeks, we're walking through what is called the prologue to the Gospel of John. If you're new to Jesus, there are four accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and we're looking at the fourth one. Um, in the past, I've as in the last 12 years that I've been preaching here, we've looked at the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke a lot, because Matthew and Luke carry some of the most familiar Christmas stories, right? Angels and shepherds and King Herod and, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I have never preached through John, and I'm excited to see uh, what God wants to kind of say, speak to us as a church family through the Gospel of John. Now, we're looking at the prologue. What you just heard were the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, which is called the prologue. And th these words, these 18 verses, have truly changed the world. And so what I want to say is a Merry Christmas to each of you. May our weary world rejoice with a great hope. For in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him, that's Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, and Jesus we come to you, and for the next four weeks, we pray that you would take our weary hearts and that you would fill them with joy. No matter what we walk through and face, that we would find an inexpressible joy, a deep joy, that our hearts would rejoice as the light of your love dawns upon our life. So we pray that you would heal us, speak to us, watch over us. We love you, and we give these next four weeks to you. Amen. I want to begin with a question that I'll come back to later in the sermon, but it's this. Do you have hope that Jesus can make all things new? Do you have hope that Jesus can make all things new? John 1, 1 to 18 is written by John, one of the youngest disciples of Jesus. John, the son of Zebedee. John, the one who leaned on the chest of Jesus at the Last Supper. This is John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. It is this John who decades later in life sits down and writes his account of the life of Jesus 
This John followed Jesus for several years. He saw all that Jesus did. He was close to Jesus. And he sits down to write his account of Jesus' life. And he does so, it seems like he does so, in the city of Ephesus. Now, some of you may have traveled to Ephesus, but the church father Irenaeus, writing in the second century, said, quote, John, the disciple of the Lord, published the gospel while living in Ephesus in Asia. John wrote these words in what was the great Greek port city of Ephesus on the Mediterranean. Now picture it. It was a city filled with Greeks, Romans, and Jews, people from all over the world. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is said to have lived there too. This, this is a, spe a special church in Ephesus. It was my professor, Daryl Johnson, who pointed out, this is a church established by Paul the missionary, pastored by John the apostle, and in attendance was Mary, mother of Jesus. Can you imagine worshiping there at the church of Ephesus? You can quickly just consult with Mary to make sure the story was true, right? Now, John is a good pastor. He's a good missionary. And he knows that in his church at Ephesus, there are Greeks and Jews, a mixture of Greeks and Jews who both need to understand who Jesus is. And so he picks this perfect opening sentence to describe who Jesus is to both Greeks and to Jews. So let's take a minute and unpack the opening line from the Gospel of John. Here it is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Word. In the Greek, it's logos. Logos is the Greek word used here, and it is loaded. So let's ask two questions. What would logos have meant to Greeks? And what would the word logos have meant to Jews? So what would it have meant to Greeks? So to Greeks, logos was reason. It was the rational principle of the universe. You could say that logos was the logic at the center of the universe. It was the reason and structure and logic behind all creation. Now, for the Greeks, the Logos was an impersonal force. So kind of like Star Wars, right? May the force be with you. It was just kind of this impenetrable or kind of this um, impersonal force around you. It was the building block of life, the logical principle behind all life. And now here's what John is saying. John says, the Logos became human. Or the Logos was always a person, not an abstract force. The Logos is a man who lived in Roman-occupied Israel. And John says, I knew him, and he knew me, and I loved him, and he loved me, and I will introduce you to him. To the Greeks, he says, Merry Christmas. The logic behind the cosmos was born in a manger. When you look at that feeding trough, the baby that lies there is the logic, the reason behind the entire cosmos. So you can imagine Greek minds blown apart, right? Now, what would this word logos have meant to Jews? 
Well, listen to verse 1 again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning. Sound familiar? In the beginning. These words are a hyperlink back to the opening words of the Bible. If you are new to the Bible, some of you have tried to start reading the Bible, and maybe you just were like, I spent even a few seconds trying to read it, and I didn't get very far. But guess what? You read these words, because these are literally the opening words of the Bible. Listen to this. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So if you're a Jew, and you're reading the Gospel of John, you're saying, hold on a minute. The only word in Genesis 1 was the word that God used to speak the world into being. Remember that word? Let's let's listen to a little bit more of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, notice said, it's this word that goes out. And God said, let there be light. And there was So God's word goes out and something happens. Something is different. Something changes when God's word goes out. Now, I I got back late last night from a four-day trip to Virginia where I got to celebrate Thanksgiving with some extended cousins and aunts and uncles. And like most Americans, they will eat a lot of turkey and then play football um, in the afternoon. And, uh, and so I was playing football, and uh, I had this bizarre experience where my mind was telling my body to do things, and my body, it like couldn't track with what my mind was saying. It's this odd thing. I don't know if you've experienced this before. I'm like, oh, right, maybe I'm in my 40s now, and uh, this was not working. So my brother and I were kind of at, at each other. We were on opposite teams, and, uh, and things got a little ugly. Uh, I rammed my head into him, and then a ball hit me in the eyeball, and then he pulled a hamstring, and things were getting really ugly. And we're playing with like our you know, second cousins who are tiny. Um, but, <laughs> but anyway, so, but I realized when I play quarterback, so I'm, I'm like, so you know, send all the cousins or second cousins out running, and I'm like, you know, hail Mary, or like, you know, go deep or to the left or like screen or whatever. Whatever I say, they start to do or they kind of start to do. But anyway, they try to do, right? So the image here of a quarterback is that the quarterback yells out the word and things change, things happen. You call a play and something, your words kind of, it's like they, you can imagine, they just kind of float out there and then something tangible is changed, right? So now think of, think of Genesis, God took this dark, formless, empty, watery space, and he says, let there be light. So his word goes out. It travels out, and and an actual light uh, dawns upon the world, right? His word goes out and creates life. And then he, he goes on. He says, let there be sun and stars and land and creatures and vegetation. So life springs forth because God's word travels out and creates the cosmos. Now, John says, the word that went out is Jesus. The word, that, the word that proceeds out of God's mouth, as it were, it is Jesus. Jesus is the word that goes forth creating the universe. 
Look around. All that you see is made by him and through him. Listen to John 1 again. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Here it is, verse 3. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Okay. Without Jesus, nothing, has been, nothing is made that has been made. Right? Nothing was made that has been made. Mind-blowing. Everything you see from pine trees to turtles to snow, from an elephant to the moon to every human made in his likeness, it was all made by him and through him. And now John says, the word that spoke the world into being, the word, that word, showed up in the flesh one day in a tiny town called Bethlehem. And that word, that logos, that created the cosmos, grew up in a little town called Nazareth in Galilee. And that logos, that word that created the cosmos, grew up honoring his parents and grew up studying the Torah. And when he was older, he turned water into wine and healed people and welcomed the marginalized, and went up on a hillside and taught some moral teachings that have turned the world upside down. And one day, the Logos, the word that went forth and created the cosmos, was crucified on a Roman cross, and nails went into his hands and his feet. The creator of the cosmos was crucified. And three days later, he rose from the dead. You see what John is doing? Pastoring in Ephesus, he's got to pick a sentence to start the story of Jesus. There's so much to say about Jesus, and he needs to say it to Jews and Greeks, and he's got to make the truth of Jesus come alive. And so to the Greeks, Here they see the reason, the logic of the universe showing up in the flesh. He is a walking around logic at the center of the cosmos. And for the Jew, they think Genesis 1. They think of the words that proceed from God himself creating the universe. And this is him. This is the one who created life itself. Archbishop William Temple wrote, quote, The Jew will remember that by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. The Greek will think of the rational principle of which all natural laws are particular expressions. Both will agree that this logos is the starting point of all things. Underline that. The starting point of all things, Jesus, the starting point of all things, yes, And I haven't even arrived at the best part, Northlingly. You ready for the best part? You awake? You with me? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. He's not just the words that spoke creation into being. He is not just the logic at the center of the universe. He is God. He is God. 
What is John claiming? John is claiming that Jesus, born in a manger, born in Bethlehem, that this vulnerable little child is God. That Jesus is the Hebrew God, the God of Israel, Yahweh. That Jesus is the God who walked in the Garden of Eden. That Jesus is the God who Abraham obeyed, who Jacob wrestled, who comforted Hagar in her distress. The God who interpreted dreams for Joseph and who spoke through a burning bush to Moses. That's Jesus. Jesus is the God of the Exodus, the God who dwelled with his people in a tabernacle and a temple, the God who fed his people manna and quail in the wilderness, who gave words to Aaron and courage to Caleb, and who said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. That's Jesus. Jesus is the tender God who cared for Ruth and Naomi in their distress, who met Job in his suffering who called out to Samuel as a young boy, who called David to be king and filled David's heart with song. Jesus is then the God who defeated the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and who cared for Elijah in the wilderness and who showed up in the fire to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and who shut the mouth of the lions to protect Daniel. That's Jesus. Jesus is the God who revealed his glory to Isaiah in the temple who would not let Jonah rest, who revealed the future to Ezekiel, and who gave strength and wisdom to Esther. And the word was with God, and the word was God. The word was God. This is the God of Israel who has come to be with his people. So you and I are called to look at Jesus, to look at the manger. Jesus, born in Bethlehem, look closely at Jesus and see the God of Israel has come. The Bible makes the audacious claim that if you wanted to know God, if you truly want to know what God is like, God in all of his holiness, how can we know God? How can we see God? God in all of his glory, all of his purity. Right? How can we ever know a God like that? Well, the Bible says if you want to know that God, look at Jesus. Paul the Apostle says this, quote, the Son is the image of the invisible God. The writer of the book of Hebrews says that Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Lying in a manger on that night in Bethlehem, we see the image of the invisible God. As N.T. Wright says, quote, that's the theme of this gospel. If you want to know who the true God is, look long and hard at Jesus. Keep looking. We say, I don't know what God is like. Look at Jesus. And he's here in this room right now. Jesus, the image of the invisible God, is here. Jesus, the word, the logos that spoke creation into being is here. The logic at the center of the universe is here. 
And if that's true, think of the implications. Think about it. What would you like Jesus to do for you? It's what my counselor asked me a couple years ago when I was going through a really difficult time. And to be honest, I wasn't immediately sure how to answer that. What would you like him to do for you and in you? See, in Genesis 1, he hovered over the darkness and the chaos and said, let there be light. And what he now does is he hovers over the darkness and chaos of my soul. And he can say it again. He can do it again. He's the logic that can untangle the mess of my life. The mess of my heart. He's the logic that can sort through the web of brokenness in my life. He's the creative word that can make something out of nothing. In Latin, it's ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. You see, Jesus moves in my life and creates life out of nothing. When I bring to Jesus nothing, he makes a something. Say that again. When I bring to Jesus my nothing, he creates a beautiful something. What would you like Jesus to do for you and in you? One way to think about it is what hopelessness do you bring into this place today? Can you name it? And I want to ask again, do you have hope? Now seeing who Jesus is, that Jesus can make all things new. Today, what would it look like to welcome Jesus in and for him to speak a word of new creation in you? Let there be light. To allow him to come in and to bring something dead in you to life again. And it may sound something like this. Jesus, speak life into my dead marriage. Jesus, speak life into my loneliness. Jesus, speak life into my broken heart. Jesus, speak life into my heart that is plagued by lust. Jesus, speak life and free me from this addiction. Or for some of you parents in the room, Jesus, speak life into my hurting child. And we hold up our hurting child before Jesus. Do it, Lord. Do it today. Do it right now. Would you say, let there be light Speak it into my child. Jesus, speak life into the center of my cynicism and speak it into the core of my bitterness and speak life into the pain of my loss and speak life into the weight of my anxiety and into the center of my atheism. 
Jesus, I need your healing. Jesus, just say the word. You have all authority. Jesus, speak the word. Once for me, a couple of years ago, this happened to me. Uh, I have the honor of doing a memorial this week, this Wednesday, for um, a loved one of our church family named Paul Warish, who passed away. And uh, Paul was a longtime missionary, and uh, he, he was um, in his early 80s and had spent decades serving Jesus. And he had become a kind of a mentor to me. And it seemed like he always had the right word to share with me. And one day, just actually down the little corridor here um, by the chapel, um, I, the previous Sunday, I had spoken on Jesus' parables, the parable of the pearl of great price and the treasure in the field. Now, if you're new to Jesus and you don't know these stories, really quick, Jesus tells these two stories about finding the kingdom. Jesus is the king of a kingdom, and he tells a story about a treasure hidden in a field and a, and a, and a merchant who's looking for this pearl of great price. And, and in the stories, when, when someone finds the treasure in a field and then the merchant finds the pearl, this guy and this guy sell everything they have to have the field and the treasure and then to have the pearl, right? They sell everything. They give up everything to have it. And, and the way I had been teaching it and the way it had been taught to me for years was that, of course, Jesus and his kingdom are the pearl and the treasure, and you and I are supposed to give up everything, right, to have the pearl and the treasure. We give it all up to have him. And so I had preached that the previous Sunday, and he, he found me in the hallway, and he said, Matthew, he said, Jesus would often teach in parables, and many of them, not all of them, but many of them are autobiographical. And the pearl and the treasure are autobiographical. They are the story of Jesus. I said, what do you mean? I'd, I'd never heard this before. And he said, flip it around. Flip it around. What if? What if you're the pearl and you're the treasure? And what if Jesus went on a journey to find you, to find out where you are? And when he found his treasure and his pearl, he, he sold all things. He gave up the riches of heaven. He sacrificed everything, even to the point of crucifixion, that he might have you. He gave it all up to have you. And then he looked at me, and he came close, and uh, he put his finger on my chest, and he said, Matthew, you're the pearl, baby. <laughs> He said, you're the pearl, baby. I, said, I couldn't believe it. I'm the pearl. I had never read this story that way. What was Paul saying? He says, hear the story of the, hear, hear the good news. The good news is that you're the pearl. You're the treasure that Jesus was willing to, to give up all things, all the riches of heaven, to find you, to have you. You're the beloved. You know what that is? You know what that was to my soul? It was let there be light, and there was light. Paul was speaking true words of who my identity was in Christ. And, and it's powerful how much shame and guilt and distance from God can be healed in a moment when I come to realize that I'm the pearl and that I'm the treasure. 
And I want to look at each of you in the room and say, you're the pearl. You're the treasure. If I could just see all of you, right? You're the pearl. You're the treasure. Deeply loved by God. You're the beloved of God. And in that story, the powerful thing is I've realized since then that God might need me to be a Paul Warish in someone else's life. And God might be asking you to be the one. You're, you're his hands and his feet. And so we're on the receiving end, but we're also on the giving end. Who is it that God would ask you to meet with, to talk to, and to speak words that are true and life-giving so that this person in your life might have that same experience? And we think about our words, the logos that comes out of our mouth, and how it can build up or destroy, right? And the power behind our words. And God calling you and I into that ministry to others of speaking words of life. I'm so grateful Paul did that for me. Our theme this Advent, again, a weary world rejoices. So where are you weary? Where do you look around and see the weariness in your life? As O Holy Night, the Christmas hymn says, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And my hope, North Langley, is that we would experience a thrill of hope this Christmas. No matter what you and I are walking through, even when our externally our life is crumbling and we are walking through all kinds of pain, that we would somehow have a joy and a hope that, is, that you cannot explain that you and I would know that you and I are the beloved of God and that no matter what is crumbling around us, we would carry within us a joy that makes no sense, a hope that makes no sense because we've, we've, we've come to see the reality of who we are as the beloved of God, the pearls, the treasure that God was willing to give up everything to have us. And that once we come to realize that no matter what we're walking through, a new and glorious morn would break through the night that we've been walking through. The Logos loves you. The Word loves you. Yahweh loves you. His name is Jesus and he is for you. And nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. And the response is always, as O Holy Night says, fall on our knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. O night divine, the night the Logos was born. And it changed the world. He changed the world. Can we stand together? We're going to worship. And I'd like to lead us in a time of prayer. And I want to end with the question we started with. Do you have hope that Jesus can make all things new? If so, we're going to go to prayer here, and I'm going to let you know that in a few moments, our prayer team will be up here, ready to pray for anything that this, maybe whatever bubbles up within you or comes up within you, they'd love to pray for you, standing with you. Our prayer room is also in the back, but if you're willing, would you close your eyes? And, uh, and if you're willing, would you hold out your hands? It's a, it, it's a posture of receiving. 
and we hold out our hands in expectation for what Jesus would want to bring into our life. And so Jesus, with our hands out, Jesus, we feel the world is broken. And we feel the shadows deepen. And we wish that we could see it all made new. And right now, North Langley, would you just tell Jesus the burden, the weariness. Tell him exactly what you're feeling. What do you want him to do in you? Jesus, we know you're hearing lots of things right now. And so, Lord, for all of those in the room who need relationships mended, would you come and make these relationships new again? For each of my friends who brought up a broken marriage or a marriage that's struggling, Lord, would you bring life into that relationship? Lord, for all my friends in the room who are longing for justice and truth to prevail, and it feels like only lies are winning, Jesus, would you shine a light and bring your healing, your justice, your truth. For all those in the room who are struggling and feel so caught in bitterness and In anger, Lord, pray that you would come with the healing power of forgiveness and teach us to forgive. Even if reconciliation isn't an option, Lord, we pray you'd teach us to forgive and set our hearts free. Jesus, for all my friends in the room who are so tired of the lust of the heart, Would you bring your healing? Set their hearts free. Jesus, we know that it's your great desire to make all things new, so would you do it here and would you do it now? And one final thing, North Langley, just if you could in your your mind right now, just there you are in your mess and the messy situation you're in. And would you just see Jesus step into it? Like actually, just in your mind, see him stepping into it. What do you see? What's he doing? What's he saying? Thingly, I believe as he stands right there in the middle of all of it I believe the first thing he wants to say to you 
is to look in your eyes. And he says, you're the pearl. You're the treasure. You're my beloved. I love you. I have always loved you. I will always love you. No matter what you face, I want you to know my joy and I want you to know my hope because I'm for you. You're my deeply beloved child. And Jesus, with our hands out, we just, we receive that gift. And many of us struggle to believe it, but Lord, we receive it. We trust it. And we pray in the coming weeks we would sit back in awe as you make all things 